Showcase Sundays today on the Mutual Audio Network. The following audio drama is rated G for general audiences. Once again, it's time for Project Audio, where voice actors come together via Zoom to present classic radio with a visual twist. Hi, I'm Larry Groby with the Generic Radio Workshop. Indulge me for a moment with a bit of a pop quiz, or a pop-up quiz, if you'd like. How many of these once famous funny men can you recognize? Well, there's Chaplin, of course, and and Groucho Marx, which if you're old enough, you still know. And the third is Fred Allen. Now, some of you are saying, well, who's he? Well, among other things, he had the most popular radio show of 1948, that's all. And that came after 15 years on the air. Everyone knew his nasal voice, his baggy-eyed face, his feud with Jack Benny. Everyone knew about the part of his show called Allen's Alley, where he visited with various eccentric neighbors. Heck, if I said, well, that's a joke, son, son, that's a joke. (laughs) That's a line that Fred wrote for Allen's Alley and which Warner Brothers stole for Foghorn Leghorn. Stole? Okay, so imitation is the sincerest form of flattery. Yeah, once absolutely everybody knew who Fred Allen was. He was on the cover of Time Magazine, for heaven's sakes, when that was just about the highest level of visibility you could have. So, why not today? Well, his humor leaned towards satire and current events. Events which are now 75 years behind us. And when radio networks came up with reality programming in the form of quiz shows, that really took the audience away from shows like Alan's. And then there came TV. Alan once said, television's called a medium because anything well done there is rare. Fred Allen can be considered one of the great American humorists up there with Mark Twain and Robert Benchley and James Thurber. But he wrote for a medium that came and then was swept away again each week. And by the way, he did primarily write most of his own material. And that, combined with his early death in 1956, means that People today just don't know Fred Allen the way they did back in 1947 or 48, which is too bad. Well, let's see if we can't bring a bit of the acerbic Allen wit back to life. Robert L. Mills, who also knows a thing or two about comedy, having written for Bob Hope, has created a new episode of the old Fred Allen show just for Project Audion. We've got Edgar Bergen and Charlie McCarthy for guest stars, the mighty Allen art players in a movie parody, and of course, a walk up Allen's Alley. So are you ready? Oh, Mr. Allen, Mr. Allen. It's not Eleanor Roosevelt, kiddies. (laughs) 
The makers of Tenderleaf Tea and Blue Bonnet Margarine present The Fred Allen Show with Fred's guests, Edgar Bergen and Charlie McCarthy, starring Portland Hoffa, Minerva Pius as Mrs. Nussbaum, Peter Donald as Ajax Cassidy, Parker Fennelly as Titus Moody, the mighty Allen Art players, Al Goodman and his orchestra. And if anybody cares who I am, I'm Kenny Delmar. Now here's the star of our show, Fred Allen. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Kenny, and good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Before we begin, I'd like to explain why I'm dressed like this. I was wondering that myself, Fred. Why are you all bundled up? Well, it's snowing like the devil out there, Kenny, and I was a little late getting to the studio, so I'm still dressed for it. I read where this is the deepest March snowfall in New York history. And we're even between political campaigns. <laughs> when my cab arrived outside, I actually had to hire a young lad to shovel a path to the front door of Radio City. Cost me a dollar. A dollar seems a little steep for just five feet of shoveling. Well, not really, Kenny. Jack Benny was charging a buck fifty. <laughs> I wonder if our guest stars, Edgar Bergen and Charlie McCarthy, are having trouble getting a cab in this storm. Charlie told me Edgar makes him ride in the trunk, and he also has to sleep in a suitcase. Well, his life must have improved when Serta merged with Samsonite. <laughs> Maybe Portland has snowed in, too. I doubt it. Here she comes now. Mr. Allen! Mr. Well, Allen! Well, if it isn't Portland Hoffa. So tell me, Portland, how are you surviving this inclement weather? Not bad, Mr. Allen. Not bad at all. You may remember, inclement is where I was born. Ah, yes. Inclement, New Jersey. About 20 miles from incontinent, as I recall. I, play, I played that town in vaudeville. It, ha it has a famous theater, the Majestic. Oh, tough audience. After I was introduced, everyone left to go to the bathroom. <laughs> it was the world's first squatting ovation. <laughs> Tell me, did you enjoy your childhood growing up there? Oh, yes. We'd ice skate and go sledding in the winter and go on hayrides in the summer. Except if there was a lousy harvest. Well, then what did you do? Well, we still had hayrides, but we rode on artificial hay. And just how did they make artificial hay? They didn't make it exactly. They'd collect all the excelsior they packed peaches and apricots in, and we'd ride on that. <laughs> and excelsior worked out just as well as hay, did it? Except every so often when we sat on a pit. And I bet, <laughs> and I bet you found an occasional pendulum, too. <laughs> okay, that was a po joke. Tell me, Portland. Are you ready for this week's little stroll down Allen's Alley? I can't wait. What's today's question, Mr. Allen? Well, Portland, since the Oscars are right around the corner, I thought it only fitting this evening to take an informal poll, as opposed to a Czech or Latvian, <laughs> on which picture will capture this year's golden statuette. What are the choices? It's a formidable list, Portland. That includes Lost Weekend, Spellbound, the Bells of St. Mary's, and Mildred Pierce. Too bad they all can't win. 
Oh, that would never work, Portland. In Hollywood, the pure joy of winning an Academy Award is directly proportional to the sheer agony of all your friends who lost. That sounds cruel. That's why they call it Tinseltown, Portland. Their hearts are stuffed with it. So as the sun slowly sets on the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences, shall we be off? I'm ready when you are. As the shoe said to the sock, let's shake a leg. Ah, there's Senator Claghorn's house, and he must be home. There's his freshly laundered carpet bag hanging on his line to dry. I'll knock. Hey, Senator, I'll say Senator Claghorn's my name. Who's that wrapping his gnarly knuckles on my solid oak? <laughs> oh, it's you. Yes. Yes, Senator, I hope we didn't catch you at a bad time. Son, any time I'm not way down upon the Swanee River, far, far away, you can chalk it as a bad time. My, my, that is the deep south. Real deep, son. I'm so southern, I knew Mason and Dixon before they became a vaudeville team. <laughs> and, as I recall, they kept forgetting their lines. Mason and Dixon line? I, I say, I, I say, I think you just slipped a joke past the senator. Yes, slipped away so quietly the audience didn't even notice it. Where was I? Just north of the Swanee River, I think. Oh, thanks. I'm so southern, I remember when the Gettysburg Address bitch just slipped in a better part of town. <laughs> and your zip code, no doubt, had four score in it. Senator, you look like you've just returned from a trip. Barely had time to unpack all the towels I... appropriate. <laughs> just what you need. More purloined cloth. I should send that joke to Benny, who once changed his initials so he could use the monogram towels we swipe from the Waldorf Towers. <laughs> I had to call him Rack Towney for a week. You've been away... You've been away in a junket, have you, Senator? Son, you hit the nail right where it lines up with my thumb. A real junk at this time. I got to ride on an actual junk. Ah, a Chinese dinghy. You uh, visited Shanghai, I assume? Uh, along with selected other Far East ports of call. <laughs> Shoot, in the last week I've eaten, I say, I've consumed more Chinese food than Shanghai Shek. <laughs> seldom picks up one, by the way. <laughs> so you enjoy the Szechuan cuisine? Well, let me put it this way. They press them ducks flatter than a raccoon befriending a greyhound bus on a dusty country road. <laughs> <laughs> well, that brings us to your fortune cookie question for today, Senator. Which picture do you think will win the Academy Award this year? The Academy Award, son? Are you referring to the, uh, I say, you mean the Oscar? Well, not Levant, Senator. The, <laughs> the golden statuette, as they self-aggrandizingly refer to it. Well, frankly, and I, I don't mean that Sinatra fella, I haven't seen many movies since Gone with the Wind marched through Georgia. 
Well, I can't blame you there, Senator. MGM was not very complimentary to the Confederate cause. Yeah, those Yankee four flushes helped set fire to it left. <laughs> well, well, how did they do that? How did they do that, Senator? Did he give General Sherman the match? No, no, but he gave him the next best thing. The next best thing to a match? Yeah, he gave him a Boy Scout, two sticks, and a handful of straw. <laughs> so long, so long, Sonny. Like the Boy Scout, the Senator is always prepared with an exit laugh. Let's see who answers this one, Portland. Howdy, bub. Why, why it's Mr. Moody, our own answer to how you're going to keep them down on the farm once they've seen Perry. Ain't been to Paris, but I am a farmer. <laughs> Which raises some doubt as to whether you've had time to take in any movies this year. I go to the movie house, bub. I run a farm, not a monastery. <laughs> in which case, this week's question is, which movie do you think will win the Best Picture Oscar? Mm, don't really give a hoot, long as it ain't last weekend. And why do you wish Lost Weekend would... Pardon the pun. Get lost. It reminds me too much of a rooster I had once with a drinking problem. A rooster? With a drinking problem? Tell me, how did you discover this? Well, old Randy seemed normal at first, then started showing up late for work. Uh-oh, that's always a red flag. Mm-hmm, kept missing the sunrise. Misplaced the dawn, did he? He'd be ten minutes too early one day, then ten minutes too late the next. That would be a tip-off. Not worse than that. Nothing worse than milking a cow that ain't ready. <laughs> then sometimes Randy wouldn't show up at all. Feathered absenteeism, no doubt a rarity. Almost unheard of. Roosterin's considered the best job on the farm. Got more applicants for the job than I know what to do with. Well, then why didn't you just replace him? Randy's track record. He'd fathered more chicks than any rooster we ever had. Ooh, that would drive anyone to drink. About then, I found a bunch of them hotel minibar miniatures he'd hidden around the stable. Uh-oh. <laughs> like finding a beef eater in a haystack. Broke up his family, too. He had a torrid affair with Miriam, one of my geese, and the hens found out about it. Ooh, smelled foie gras on his breath, did they? But then all the ducks stepped in, staged an intervention, and made him enter a 12-peck program. <laughs> and just in the nick of time, that cure him, did it? Yeah, but I lost him anyway. He retired from Roosterin to go on a tour of the other farms, lecturing on the evils of demon rum. So long, bub. <laughs> Why do I feel like I've got a hangover, Portland? Let's see who's behind this door. Why, it's Mrs. Nussbaum. You were expecting maybe Olivia to have an aguila? No, not since Fanny Bryce married Billy Rose. <laughs> 
I haven't seen you since our Thanksgiving break, Mrs. Inn. Tell me, did you have a nice vacation? Not exactly. Don't tell me your Thanksgiving turned out to be a turkey. <laughs> My husband, Pierre, is taking me on a luxury cruise to the Bahamas. He is winning on Name That Tune. A cruise? How exciting. You're not letting me finish. From hell. <laughs> a luxury vacation to the lower regions. Sounds intriguing. Please tell us more. First. The Queen Mary, we are not aboard. Not on the Mary, uh-huh. We are not even aboard the Queen Elizabeth. Not aboard the QE either. What's left? Royalty, you are sensing, we are sadly running out of. Well, which ship did you sail on, Mrs. Inn? Pierre and myself are ensconced in a third-class cabin aboard the SS Duchess of Windsor. Well, it sounds like Pierre may have named the wrong tune. And, and, and the piper, I am paying, spending four days and nights seasick in my haddock, hammock. No, in your haddock, that'd be pretty small. It's a fishy story. <laughs> uh, no dinner at the captain's table. No afternoon tea on a deck chair. No shuffleboard. I am shuffling Pierre with a pedalboard after we are getting home. I trust the food, including the haddock, aboard the Duchess was acceptable. We are asking for seafood. They are handing us a fishing rod and opening a porthole. Ah. Serve yourself. Mr. Nussbaum's suffers from ulcers, so he is requiring a special milk diet. A milk diet? Yeah, they are bringing him a bucket, a stool, and a cow. <laughs> a seagoing dairy farm. <laughs> And that's another cow joke. Well, I'm sorry your cruise didn't work out, Mrs. Ann. Maybe tonight's question will help you forget. As long as it's not having anything to do with Name That Tune. Actually, it's Name That Movie. Which one do you think will win this year's Academy Award? Keeping you out of suspense, if you get my meaning, I am being very partial to Muriel Pierce. She is being played excellently by Joan Crawford. Joan Crawford has never been better. You identify with her, don't you? In what respect? I, too, am opening a restaurant, but mine, unlike Joan Crawford's, goes kaput. <laughs> Yet another failed eatery. What kind of restaurant did you open, Mrs. N? The city's first drive-thru, but it turned out the public wasn't quite ready for it. Being, it is being blamed bad aim. Bad aim? How so? Well, the first customer, so anxious he's being to place his order, misses the driveway. Uh-oh, misses the driveway. And? Drives straight through the kitchen! <laughs> And I guess she could forget about a tip. <laughs> Let's 
Let's see who's home here. It's you again. Welcome to the Emerald Isle West. Why, it's Ajax Irish Eyeser Smiling Cassidy. Direct from the Blarney Stone, I am. You've been to Cork, have you? Oh, don't I wish. My cousin Angus is visiting me from Belfast and speaking of Corks, he's never been known to put one back in a bottle. <laughs> Tipples a bit, does he? Aye, and when he ain't tipping, he's toppling. Aye, uh, if I'm making myself clear. Clearer than Galway Bay at high tide. Last week, he got so blotto, he was seeing the snakes St. Paddy drove out of Ireland. <laughs> drove the snakes out of Ireland, did he? Along with all the lawyers, politicians, and insurance salesmen. <laughs> And, and, and just how did the good St. Patty dispose of this motley crew of scallywags? Eh, near as I can figure. He stuffed them all in the trunk of his ox cart and shipped them over to Scotland. <laughs> no doubt humming fangs to the memory the whole time. <laughs> or one would hope. Our question this week, Mr. Cassidy, is which Oscar nominee will win Best Picture this year? Well, as a former altar boy, I got me money on the bells of St. Mary's. A former altar boy, you say? Indeed so. At age 13, I was named altar boy of the month. <laughs> Very impressive. Did you also sing in the choir? Hmm, along with all 11 other monthly winners. <laughs> Were you any good? Any good? Let me put it this way, boyo. We made the Mormon Tabernacle Choir sound like the Sportsman Quartet. <laughs> so, so I must assume you enjoyed being Crosby's performance in the movie. Oh, yes, Der Bingle. Perfect casting. But maybe I think sometimes they're overdoing it. Overdoing it? How so? Well, Bing has played so many priests, he's beginning to get a ring around the Roman collar. I'll be seeing you. <laughs> Morning, noon, and night, and between times, the all-weather, all-purpose beverage is tea. And the tea that America wants in its cup are Tenderleaf Tea Balls, the largest-selling tea balls in the country. Now that they come 48 to the box, that adds economy to all the other features that make Tenderleaf Tea Balls better in every way. From the price you pay to the last delicious swallow of tea, Tenderleaf Tea Balls impress you with advantages all along the line. Their convenience, appearance, and the taste that doesn't taper at all. So ask for the thrifty box of 48 T-Balls. If your grocer's supply hasn't come in yet, it's on the way. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome my guests this week, Edgar Bergen and Charlie McCarthy. Oh, thank you, Fred. Sorry we're a little late, but that snow is really coming down out there. And Bergen decided to take a sleigh ride around Central Park. Ugh. How festive. Over the river and through the woods to Allen's show we go. Donner and Blitzen aside, was your sleigh pulled by a reindeer? That's what caused the delay. Bergen insisted on finding one whose nose lit up. <laughs> <laughs> 
Now, Charlie, you know that's not why we were delayed. It took us a half hour just to get out of the sleigh. That long? Yeah, Jack Benny just couldn't shovel that fast. <laughs> it would be so much easier if you just buy a shovel. I was just telling the audience how long we've known each other, Edgar. Hard to believe we go all the way back to vaudeville. Vaudeville? You guys never met even before I was born? Oh, long before. I've never told you this, Charlie, but I auditioned for Fred's first radio show as a single. Ah, yes, I remember it well. Your future partner had read my casting call in Variety and... Portland, who's the next applicant for Allen's Alley? Mr. Edgar Bergen claims he's a comedian. Bergen, Bergen, let's see. Ah, yes, I have his resume right here. Send him in, Portland. Oh, thank you for seeing me, Mr. Allen. I met you once years ago in Peoria. We were both playing two a day on the Keith circuit. Ah, yes, Edgar Bergen. Please have a seat and call me Fred. <sighs> I did tour with Keith, but why don't I remember you? Oh, you were a big star, and I was just starting out, buried way down on the bill between Fink's mules and Madame Burkhardt's cockatoos. <laughs> well, I like your resume. Tell me, have you thought about what kind of character you'd like to play on the alley? Well, I was thinking, how about a couple of traveling salesmen? I thought it might be funny if we described all the interesting places and people we visited that week. We? Sorry, Edgar, but I only have a budget for one actor. Oh, I'd uh, play both parts. Both parts, huh? Well, that might work depending on what the other salesman sounds like. Like this. I'd sound like this. <laughs> Who, who said that? I did. Where are you? Well, right now I live completely in Bergie's head. Oh, so you're a ventriloquist. Well, I'm still learning, but I recently discovered I could throw my voice. So I decided to change the act, and I'd like to introduce my new partner on your show. I'm honored, Edgar, but ventriloquism would never work on radio. Why not? Well, for one thing, it would be like a magician doing card tricks. The audience has to be able to watch you doing it. Oh, the studio audience would see us, and I'm sure they'd like us so much, the listeners would too. Hmm. So what would this partner look like? Well, when the woodcarver finishes creating, I'm calling him Charlie McCarthy, mm -hmm. he'll be dressed in a top hat, white tie and tails, and have a monocle. White tie, tails. Aside from the monocle, that sounds like a description of Fred Astaire in one of those MGM movies. Exactly. Oh, then he must dance like Fred Astaire. Well, no, he'll only be three feet tall with stubby legs. Stubby? I resent that. Have you looked at your legs lately? Quiet, Charlie. Quiet, quiet. We're auditioning for Alan's Alley. I admit, he sounds funny, Edgar, but can he sing like Fred Astaire? 
No, he can't sing like him either. Then, funny or not, why would he dress like Fred Astaire? Well, because I'm not dressed like that. See, it helps the audience separate us in their mind. They must never doubt which one of us is speaking. That's easy. You're the one moving his lips. <laughs> very, very impressive, Edgar. Now you're acting like the magician I just mentioned. Yes, it is magic. And I'm sure the studio audience will be so convinced that Charlie is a real person, the people at home will believe it too. Edgar, I love your new act. I really do. But I hear the scientists are working on something called, oh, what is it? Uh, a television. <laughs> Tele television? What, what's, what's television? They tell me it'll be like radio with pictures, and I think your new act would be much more suitable for that. But thanks for coming in. But, but you haven't heard my other characters. How about a, a bucktooth country bumpkin named Mortimer? Goodbye, Edgar. And Charlie. No, I, I've got it. How about an old maid spinster named Effie Clinker? Wait, wait, I've got more. And that, ladies and gentlemen, was the worst decision of my life. I failed to recognize one of the greatest talents of the 20th century. Oh, what am I? Chopped liver? <laughs> thank, thank you, Fred. Uh, but we forgave you when shortly thereafter, Rudy Valley hired us as regulars on his Fleischman Hour. And for that, I've never forgiven Rudy. But bygones be bygones. You're starring at tonight's presentation by the mighty Allen Art Players. And what classic movie are we dismantling, Mr. A? One of my favorites, Charlie. We're doing The Treasure of the Sierra Madre. Only our version is entitled The Treasure of Sarah's Matzo Ball Soup Recipe. <laughs> I, I hope we'll be up to it, Fred. Charlie and I have never appeared in a Western... You'll be fine, Edgar. If it doesn't work out, we can use Charlie for a, for a nice fire when we're having dinner. Central casting informs me you're the best choices for the role. And besides, Laurel and Hardy had a previous engagement. <laughs> Here are your scripts, gentlemen. Look them over while I set the scene. Mr. Goodman, if you please... Our little epic begins in dusty, sun-baked Tampico, Mexico. My partner, Fred Dobbs, and I had hitchhiked south of the border to seek our fortune, but were cheated out of our first paycheck by a crooked oil well owner named McCormick. So we were reduced to sleeping in a seedy peso-a-night flea bag. Bob, did you call the desk? There was no mint on my pillow, and these wolves are so thin the other guests are keeping me awake. There are no walls, Gobs. This is a barracks. Pretend you're in the army. Oh, which side? Very funny. Just do the best you can. This is all we can afford at the moment. 
Next, you'll tell me there's no room service after nine o'clock. I say, uh, pardon me, gentlemen, but did I overhear lamentations of poverty? Uh, a bit strapped for funds, are we? Maybe, but who are you? Well, my name is Grizzle Old Prospector, but you can call me Howard for short. Thank you, Grizzy. We'll do that. Especially if you can help us get out of this dump. My partner, Dobbs here, is a bit uncomfortable. I'm Bob Curtin. We're Americans seeking our fortune in Mexico. Eh, I won't hold that against you, young'uns. We all have to be from somewhere. Prospector, huh? Ever dig up anything? Just this treasure map. Treasure, you say? Ooh, what treasure? Just this legendary... Treasure of Sarah's matzo ball soup recipe. Recipe? Is that all? Yeah, what makes it so valuable? Well, it, it was once owned by an ancient Hebrew king. And the list of secret ingredients it contains was handed down through generations of trusted matzo chefs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And whoever finds it can open a worldwide chain of matzo ball soup kitchens and make a killing. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, I'm in. I like how this kid thinks. In fact, I could use a couple of strong young men like yourselves to help me locate the treasure. Sounds interesting. The only catch is, well, we'll need plenty of provisions, like tents, pickaxes, shovels, and now if only we could rustle up enough cash. Next day in Durango, our luck changed when we ran into the swindler McCormick and strong-armed him for our unpaid oil well wages. That, plus the winnings from a lottery ticket I bought, covered the supplies we needed with enough left over for a used burrow we named Esmeralda. <laughs> Sounds like Mae West getting into her girdle. <laughs> Early next morning, we loaded up our gear. But before we set out, Howard decided we probably should talk to someone who could help us read the map. Dudley Beach, gentlemen. Oh, what are you doing here? What? You were expecting maybe Juanita Crawford? I'll have three fingers of mezcal. Make mine three fingers of tequila. I'll have five fingers of anything. I, I have skinny fingers. <laughs> Tell me, bartender. Know anyone who could help us make sense of this map? Uh, pardon me, gents, but I couldn't help overhearing. I think I can read that map for you. No, it's you again. I saw you yesterday in Pedro's used burrow lot, heading Esmeralda. <laughs> and a fine specimen she is. Name's Jim Cody, and I have a wife and young son waiting for me back in Texas. I was about to look for that treasure myself, but maybe I could join you fellas. I know every inch of those mountains. Gee, I hope there's enough matzo ball soup to go around. <laughs> well, let's see, that's Mount Bagel. 
and just below it there is Cream Soda Springs. It looks like the treasure is buried about here. I estimate, go halfway up the mountain. Think you could take us there? Well, as long as we're equal partners, how about it? Well, you, we do need a good map reader. And there's lots of mountain out there. I'm okay with it. I'll go round up my gear. I think we're gonna need a bigger burrow. So now there were four of us on a quest to find the legendary matzo ball soup recipe. Early next morning, we filled our canteens, Cody mapped out our route, and we began our hot, dusky trek, goading an overloaded Esmeralda every inch of the way. <laughs> Sounds like W.C. Fields at closing time. We pitched our camp about sunset on the first level clearing we came to. After a welcome meal of beans, hardtack, and bacon, we were all sitting around the campfire, enjoying our coffee, when... What was that? What was what? Relax, relax, move. <laughs> relax, boys, it's probably nothing. At this elevation, the wind can play tricks on a man. A magician. Don't look now, but the wind is wearing a sombrero, a bandolier, and a flashing, shiny gold teeth. Oh, he is flashing. I make it to be three banditos. Pro probably from the gold hat gang. Good evening, gringos. We are federales. We won't hurt you. We just need to borrow a cup of sugar for our coffee. <laughs> if you're federales, where are your badges? 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 We don't got to show you no stinking badges. Oh, well, badges or no badges, I'm thinking, would we really miss a cup of sugar? Oh, once you negotiate with bandits, once you negotiate with bandits, there's no end to it. Next, it's butter, then eggs, then... I think they'll settle for matzo ball soup. Yeah. Don't, don't worry, I'll, I'll handle this. Oh, forget the sugar. If it's our money you're after, it's packed in that bag at the base of the cactus below you there. Gracias, senor. You are most kind. It took us a while to bury the banditos, a welcoming committee the villagers had warned us about. After a good night's sleep, we set out to continue our quest in the hot, blazing sun. We finally staked our claim after carefully studying the map. We had been digging without success for about a week. Oh, I'm ready for another coffee break. 
I didn't work this hard smashing up rocks on Alcatraz. Well, we can't let up now. According to the map, this is the exact spot where the treasure is buried. I'm with Dobbs. This sun is brutal, and I'm out of sunblock. Hey! I think I just hit something! Uh, it uh, looks like some kind of strong box. Yes, the, the lock is rusted off. See if you can tell what's inside. Ooh, looks like a menu from a Chinese restaurant. Oh, you're right. Oh, look at these entrees. Wonton pastrami. Wheat and sour chopped liver. Let me, let me, let me see that. Let me see that. Um, hmm, Kung Kung Pao Cavalti fish. <laughs> Boys, our search is over. This is a menu from the world's first kosher Chinese restaurant. <laughs> it's even more valuable than the matzo ball soup. It turned out the same Hebrew king who passed down Sarah's matzo ball soup recipe journeyed to China in 416 BC and enjoyed the food so much he founded King David's Taste of Peking and Palestine, the international franchises of which earned our treasure hunters millions. So remember, every time you order Egg Foo Henny Youngman, you're helping one of the Allen grandchildren get through Harvard. Ladies and gentlemen, remember the letters F-N-E for flavors, nutrition, and economy. Blue Bonnet Margarine gives all three, flavor, nutrition, and economy. Yes, when you buy Blue Bonnet Margarine, you get three important things. You get flavor, delicious flavor. You get nutrition, proved nutrition. Delicious Blue Bonnet is packed with food energy, rich in vitamin A, too. And Blue Bonnet means economy. This taste-tempting spread costs so little, you can spread it on twice as thick. So ask your grocer for Blue Bonnet tomorrow. It's the margarine that gives you flavor, nutrition, and economy, all three. Next week, our guest will be Orson Welles and Sydney Greenstreet. Here's Fred with a final word. Thank you, Kenny. I'd like to thank tonight's guests, Edgar Bergen and Charlie McCarthy. This is Fred Allen reminding you that from coast to coast, haste makes waste and speed costs tires. Please drive under 40 to save rubber for the war effort. Good night, folks. This is NBC, the national broadcasting company. Thanks for watching this episode of Project Audion. And if you only heard this episode, then head to the projectaudion.com website so you can see it in action. All our past episodes are online as well. And you can be notified about future episodes by adding your name to our mailing list. So until next time, thanks for listening. Now, you seem to me to be a connoisseur of the best of radio drama. In which case, make sure you're subscribed to the Monday Matinee feed. 
There we have our weekly series of dramatic, theatrical, classic, eclectic and live radio drama. So yeah, either the main mutual audio network feed for all types and genres of audio drama or the Monday matinee. And we'll see you there. The Mutual Audio Drama Network, where we listen and imagine together.